when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamotte. Hello, everyone. Sorry, Delamotte here. How y'all doing? So this is weird to batch my podcast, which I always do, but the world changes so quickly that sometimes I worry that the things I'm doing a month previous is going to just sound ridiculous with what else has the world like created <laughs> in 2020 by the time this hits airwaves. So I ask for your um, understanding that hope, hopefully this is relevant. Uh, but today we're talking about the how we create the juror we fear. Yep, it's on us. So let's start by defining the juror that we fear. If I asked you to jot down all of the, the, the attributes this juror has, what would you write down on your list? Um, go ahead and jot a list down as we're talking about it right now. But I'm assuming that you worry about the juror that says they could never give money or even says they can but actually won't. Or you you are worried about the juror that hates lawyers or you're worried about the juror that um, thinks that lawsuits are a drain on society, so on and so forth. I mean, these are the jurors that we are afraid of. And I'm here to tell you that these are the jurors that we create. And you say, sorry, how is that possible? You know, these jurors come in with their worldview and their life experiences, and that's what's, you know, created who they are, these terrible, horrible people, which of course they're not. But I'm not saying you created them in terms of had, you know, a hand in what experiences they've had or what beliefs they've formed. But what I am suggesting is that we add to the problem and we create them or we recreate them, I should say, right there in the courtroom when they appear in front of us. How? Well, the, let's talk about the juror that can't give money. Why do jurors not give money? I shouldn't have said can't. They don't give money. Well, I think in many cases, they believe that it's unfair, first of all. So you have the juror that says, you know, well, my uncle lost his leg in Vietnam. And, you know, why should someone get money for a leg when my uncle got nothing? Or they think that the money is too much. Or they think that the money won't help. I want you to look at all of these different things and recognize that we have the potential to show the juror that not only is this fair? And not only are we not asking too much, and not only does money help, but that when we assume that this is a bad juror for us, and we treat them as such, we have a hand in creating that, right? So we basically say, where are you? Okay, I want you to think about this. We, we, we come in with the, with the sense of this is my bad juror, the juror that can't give money, hates lawyers, thinks lawsuits are a drain on society or whatever else on your list. And we say, where are you so that I can get rid of you? Now, what message does this send? Cosmically, non-verbally, or what else? Whatever else. The message that it sends is, you're right. We are asking for too much money. Lawyers are shitty people and lawsuits are a drain on society. And so in order for you to not hold that against us, we're going to just get rid of you. 
Now, you may be screaming or yelling where you are and going, that's not true, sorry, but it is, my friends. Come on now. If we actually, truly, 100% believed in our case, in our client, and most importantly, in ourselves, would we still hold this view that these jurors are awful and must be exterminated? Now, again, we have some choices that we can make and we want to, because this whole thing is a fucking gamble, it is, we want to make our best gamble possible. Yes. So if we've got a juror that is entrenched in these ideas, definitely don't want them on our jury. I'm not suggesting anything otherwise. But what I am suggesting is that when you go in with this attitude, what you are doing is playing right into the stereotype and and you are also hardening it and making it concrete as a real thing. It's really all about the, the idea of what door do you choose to walk through? In my method, which is inclusionary voir dire, I wouldn't even say it's inclusionary voir dire. I think a lot of people have that that sense that that's what it is. Sorry, just thinks you should take all jurors. Hell no. Here's what Sorry thinks. Sorry thinks that you're going to need a group of people who are selfless and recognize that they have a lot of power and can make changes in their communities that will actually affect them and their family members. And that those people need to be engaged and want to be there. And those are the people we need to figure out who they are and how to get them on our team. And as we go and find those people, we'll also find the people who are not on our team. That's the kind of wadir that I suggest. But that's really hard to like fit on a business card. <laughs> That's a long description. So it's not necessarily inclusionary. It's I'm looking for my people, Wadir. In that process, I will also find who's not my people. All right? That's that's what we're talking about. When you go through that door, when you see the jurors that are grounded in these beliefs, then yes. But what I'm suggesting is when you go in assuming that all jurors believe this or have the potential to believe this, you activate the rule of expectations. Now, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but this is an actual real thing. In that, the way we treat people is how they behave. This has been studied. I mentioned it in my book, where that very famous study where they came in and they tested these students and found out where their IQ is. Now, IQ is not a great indicator of anything, but it can it is something that's that's measured. Okay, let's l- at least put it that way. And so they measured IQ and they found the low they put the lowest IQ students with teachers and they had a control group and other groups. But what they were studying is how would the lowest IQ students fare if the teachers didn't know they were low IQ. In fact, if the teachers we're told the opposite. The teachers were told these are the best and brightest students. These are the highest IQ students that we tested. And they went, hmm. I'm sure all scientists go, what's going to happen now? No, they don't do that. I hope they do that. It makes science a little, little more interesting. And so what they did is they observed how the teachers treated the students. And I can tell you right now, you can tell me right now what happened. The teachers treated them totally different. They treated them as bright. 
They treated them as high IQ. They treated them as talented and gifted. And when they came back and they retested them, the scores had gone through the roof. Look, look at your own children. Look at children in the world. We all know that when you tell a child that they're terrible and horrible and they can't do anything right and they're stupid and they're dumb, that they grow up very differently and have very different reaction that kids are told that they are loved and that they are smart and they can accomplish anything that they set out to do. My friends, why are we treating jurors differently? If we go in with the mindset of there are jurors here that want to help me, we help create those jurors. I don't think you understand the power that you have. You have the power to create that juror, just like you have the power to create the self-esteem and the way your kids think about themselves. That comes from you as a parent. Now, is that much stronger in the parent-child relationship? Of course it is. But they've done studies on this in other places too. How you treat people is how they respond to you. Whatever you expect of them is what you'll most likely get back. Now, why shouldn't we expect that there are jurors that want to help us? Because otherwise, we create these other bad jurors. The jurors that hate lawyers, why do they hate lawyers? Because of the way we act in many cases, right? There's the bad apples in the bunch, of course, the ones that really put a stain on our on our industry. But because we are so concerned about these jurors killing our case, we're coming in and we're doing the gimmicks, we're doing all the bullshit that they hate. So we just play into that stereotype. And why do they think lawsuits are a drain? Because they think that they're, they apply the scarcity principle. There's not enough to go around. So they think that money is something to fight over, which we play into as well. When the money is there, their job isn't to award it. Stop using that word. Their job is to allow it. It's, they're the only thing that stands between the flow of money. The money's there. The door just needs to be opened and allowed to flow to the plaintiff. So my, my point is, is that your mindset matters. Stop creating the juror, the very juror that you fear. When they come in, I want you to treat them as a blank canvas in many ways. And that you have an effect like the butterfly effect in a, in a way, right? Any, any small change makes this change down the, the road. Your way of treating them and how you hold them, meaning how in your mind, how you view them has an effect on how they respond to you. This is one of the communication secrets that people don't understand, but it's always operational. People are constantly responding to how we're communicating and what we're thinking, and the little micro expressions and all the nonverbal stuff that I don't really get into because I don't find it super helpful to study that in great depths and look for blinking and all that stuff. But all of those things matter. And you are doing all of those things without even noticing it by the mindset pattern you hold. Go in expecting that there are people that want to help you and that you are expecting that they're going to show up. And when the terrible juror or the juror that we fear shows up, then we do what we need to do. But we haven't created them. It's not something that we started. 
So let that be helpful to you. Change your mindset. You change everything when you change your mindset. People don't believe it until they start working with me. They're like, oh my God, sorry, you're right. Just had a session with a client today who was like, I think one of the biggest things, we've been working together for a year. He said, I think one of the biggest things that's, that's shifted for me is to let go of all this pressure I have to like win trial and that this is my job and all these things. He's like, I think a lot of this is just, you know, like I was saying before, I'll get a gamble. It's, you, there's nothing out there that can guarantee a result in my favor. So why not just let go and do my job? And I'm like, hell yeah. And he's like, and it's been so much more enjoyable and I get better results. I'm like, this is my message, my friend. So heed it, try it. Try thinking about this differently. Stop creating the juror that you fear. If they appear, then that's on them. But don't play into that. Don't play a part of that. Play your part and see how it changes. All right. Goodbye. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.